We are live now on the Truth Script Wednesday podcast. I didn't want to do the Lego movie thing and say Truth Script Tuesday on a Wednesday. I just decided to forego that and have our first ever Truth Script Wednesday. So that's what we're doing today. We have a number of great articles on the Truth Script website to go over. One of them actually made me tear up a little bit. We may talk about that. Um, but here to join me uh, to talk about that as well is my brother, David Harris, who's also the president of TruthScript. Uh, we practice nepotism here. So I'm just the secretary, which uh, I don't I don't think that has any authority. But David uh, has, has tons of authority. So if you have questions for David in the live chat um, about TruthScript or any of that, uh, be sure to uh, talk to him about that. I'm getting a message that Rumble's not coming through. So I'm going to work on that. Um, but while I'm working on it, why don't we just start going through the articles, David? I, I don't know if you, there's anything you want to say before we start doing that. Uh, I'm ready to go. I got my Neocon mug, so I think we're set. All right. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, that's all right. Well, let's, uh, let's start here then. Um, this is actually an article for next week because, uh, it's Wednesday today and that was posted this morning, but we have three, uh, today. The first one is by Bob Colton. Uh, who I think is a pastor, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, or a professor, I guess. He was, uh, he was a professor for okay for a long time. He's he's an older gentleman, but he's uh, he was at um, Baptist Theological Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's SB SWBTS. No, SBTS. So well, Southwest, isn't that where Paige Patterson was? Yeah, I'm pulling it up. It's, uh, it says right on Bob Colton was a professor of psychology and counseling at Dallas, Dallas, Baptist, Dallas University. Baptist University. So you, uh, yeah, offended everyone. At, oh, I don't know if anyone's offended by that. I mean, Dallas is, I, I think that's a pretty good school from as far as academically, I, I think. that's. I don't know if that's Dallas Theological Seminary, though. We're really getting stuck in the weeds here, but. Um, he is anyway. a Baptist. He He's is a Baptist. Baptist. He's a Baptist. We can affirm that. Uh, and. Uh, also, and it looks like you're right. Also, from I think he taught at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, member of Heritage Baptist Church. Now, he he wrote this article that I thought was kind of interesting on um, deconstructing, and so I I titled I, I put the word exvangelical out there. Uh, but you've talked about this a little bit. What do you what do you think the thesis of this article is? I mean, it's definitely a, like a more reformed argument, but um, basically that like the crux of it is that. Um, and it says verbatim, an inadequate understanding of the depravity of man is why is the reason that he gives or his argument that there's so much deconstruction uh, today, which I think is, you know, is, a, is definitely valid. I mean, I, I immediately thought of like a ton of examples of deconstruction that I'm personally familiar. And it kind of seems like a daily thing at this point, you know, and not just with major leaders, like he kind of starts off talking about, but pe people that that I know or we know personally, uh, and then you just see something on Facebook or or uh, or some other app, or you hear something from somebody that oh, you know, they changed their gender and moved to I don't know Minneapolis and helped burn it down in 2020, and you're just like, what? What in the world happened? Um, yeah, I've had that a few times. I mean, I think everyone has to some extent, and uh, it it is quite startling. I think, you know one of them was was seeing someone I knew from college who was in the Christian group and now she has an OnlyFans account and I guess that's how she's making her money and no I didn't see her on OnlyFans I I saw I think it was a Facebook thing or something and I'm like wait a minute what, you know it, it's just obviously not not in a, a Christian setting anymore um and and another, another one recently 
um, that I saw actually it wasn't that recently. It, it was maybe it was a year ago, but it was someone who I knew growing up for years who was very active in Christian ministries and also, you know, homeschooling and things like that. And she made a public post about how she's in a, a relationship with two other people. So it's not even a marriage. It's a throuple. Right. And, uh, and just, you just don't like hear from these people for years. The last you, you saw them, they seem to be doing pretty well, or at least, you know, they seem like they were semi-solid. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, they, this happens. So anyway, it, it touches a lot of people. And I mean, what, what do you think the reformed uh, way of approaching this is? Like, what what's the explanation for it? Well, I mean, what he goes into uh, is that, um, you know, essentially, if you deconstruct, it's evidence that you were never saved to begin with, which it's funny because like, I mean, I live in Tennessee now. I've only I've lived here for 10 months. And, you know, I lived in New York. I mean, you live you live in the same house that I, I did for a long time now because um, I used to rent from from my older brother. And um, yeah, uh, I, I kind of forget that a lot of these sort of gimmicky. This is kind of what he goes into a little bit. That these sort of gimmicky, um, over the top altar call, super emotive, like um, corporate style churches that kind of are more of a brand. And he's he's kind of touching the theological part of it. But one thing that he kind of made me think of in this article is the cultural part of it. And in the South, like this is still a big thing. This is still going on pretty extensively. Uh, that um, salvation is almost like a um, something that you sign up for, like a country club, like something that you sort of, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, reg very uh, regular people, people that I work with and stuff. Um, oh, yeah, I go to church. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, my Sunday school class. I want my, my Sunday school class to go do this or go do that. And um, uh, it's, it's just strange. Like in New York, you didn't have a lot of that as much because it's a little more black and white and more spiritually dark areas. But in the Bible Belt, you still have kind of a um, uh, where people will live according to sort of a cultural um, set of ideals, mostly about, I mean, the area I live is mostly Baptist. And like, there's a lot of upsides to it. Like, there's a lot of good things about it. But I forgot that this kind of thing existed where um, it's more of an emotional thing or you're just you grow up in it you don't question it and then people um you know deconstruct or i mean we used to say backslide that's kind of now they say deconstruct but that's the people who are actually deconstructing have taken ownership of that word and i think he i think um bob colton used the right word because that's what people are applying to themselves but that's a they wear it as a badge of honor now um and it's almost like a the funny thing too is um it's not deconstruction is usually usually related to more than anything else is related to um, like sexual ethics. That's the thing that you hear the most today. Uh, well, you know, the Christians were really mean to gay people. The Christians were really mean. And like, I just, I realized like I didn't have to be a part. So I started to deconstruct. And um, uh, so I don't know that those are things that he brought up that I thought about, but his, to answer your main question, the reformed um, angle on, like, why does this happen is that the method of evangelism, the sort of mass, like um, uh, everybody's a sinner. And um, if you pray this prayer, then you can come to know Jesus today and come on to the front. Uh, 
minimizes like your need for conviction of sin. And one way would, would be that it doesn't apply to you directly. Like it applies to sort of everybody um, equally. Like don't, uh, you know, don't, don't take that as an offense. Like everybody's a sinner, you know, you have your sin. And, and a lot of time that's used to downplay certain sins that are, you don't want to um, touch on because it's not culturally, you know, you're trying to be culturally sensitive. Um, so if you downplay sin and you, you downplay depravity, then ultimately um, you don't really have a need for salvation. And of course you're going to deconstruct because you never really needed to construct to begin with. Yeah, there, there's a quote I was looking for and I can't find it now, but I was reading a book uh, called The Demon and Democracy. I've read it before and I'm rereading it. And um, the author, it's interesting because he's a Polish, uh, he, he lived in, in Eastern Bloc country. He lived in, I guess, Poland under communism and he uh, decided to immigrate. I don't know exactly what Western country he immigrated to, but he spent uh, most of his adult life, I guess, now in the West. And what he found when he got there was that um, socialism or the communism, I should say, that he was under and Western democracies had a great many things in common. And one of the things he talks about is the way they view the church. And um, without getting into the, the details too deeply here, the thing that relates to this article in my mind is that he said, it's, you know, I think he's Catholic, so he's, I, I, but he didn't seem like too biased. He seemed like he was pretty objective with how he treated this. But he did say um, Protestants had this uh, tendency to focus on the private profession, the, the privatization of the faith uh, in, in a way. I mean, it led to that, I suppose, in his mind, but that they, they believe that um, your commitment, your decision, your um, your personal relationship with Jesus, right? We hear all these words, uh, these these terms was the most important thing, and they wanted to guard that. And I think we even see that with the Christian nationalist debate today, in a way. And th there is this though, um, this social element to religion that can't be denied. And when it is denied, you end up getting these really aggressive forms of statism. And um, and, and so his point was that it hasn't m taken place in the same way in the West, but uh, whereas in communism, it was just an immediate persecution of Christians, very intense, but it's been ramped up over time in the West. And so now we are seeing that it, it's very possible in our minds that this could could happen. And um, and so, you know, w w what are the implications? I, I'm not saying I'm not attributing it all to this. Um, I, I know this is just another explanation for what we've been encountering with that ex-evangelicals and the secularization uh, and paganization. But, you know, what are the implications when churches uh, are pushed to the sidelines, when they give up or are forced to give up their um, their social credibility, their, their um, uh, I guess, credibility in the public square for being authoritative? And they concede that to other institutions, to the university, to doctors, psychologists, uh, to experts in the media, they when when they do that, then they're no longer relevant. They're no, and you start over time. I think losing your traditions, uh, your uh, holidays, all the things that used to remind even secular people. I shouldn't say secular, but but even people who were not born again believers, they were, they they had to live under this. I saw it when I was in Turkey with Islam, right? In a way, and I'm not saying that the two are completely parallel because they're not. But, you know, even if you're not a Muslim, you have to you're going to hear the call to prayer, right? You, you're constantly reminded that the default setting, that the assumptions of the society you're living in are Muslim. 
and that you, if you're tolerated, are a minority. And in Istanbul, it's pretty tolerant for the most part. So you're, you, you are a tolerated minority, but you don't get to have authority in that. And so, um, so anyway, th this gets into all these other topics, but I just think it relates to this deconstruction stuff because when people, when, when young people um, cast aside Christianity, oftentimes it seems like it just wasn't making that, like they reached the point where it, it was so replaceable. It wasn't really serving a, a function in their life uh, because they weren't saved as, as the author talks about. But, but beyond that, there just wasn't any, um, like they, they wholesale reject it, like in every, every, every single element of it, like they reject there's, there's not even like a traditional component that they want to keep around. Um, and I, and I wonder if it has to do with that secularization, but, uh, anyway, uh, I don't know if there's any thoughts on that. Um, I mean, like ultimately the church, you know, the, the church's number one goal and mission is to, uh, you know, provide hope for a for dying humanity and to you know not just that but also instruct in biblical morality and if when the church and i feel like this actually relates to the second article um because the pro-life movement is an excellent example of how that's kind of slid in out of the you know what a mission drift how that's become a mission drift because when you and I don't know, I can lead into the second article if, if we want. Yeah, yeah, go for it. So this and this would be the relation. A lot of people who most of the people I know who deconstructed personally is like this is a ultimately if you deconstruct fully, if you reject Christianity, it's a, that's a pretty big, pretty big deal, especially if you grew up in it. You're you're saying that the only way like you did believe or at least you aspired to believe that um you're a sinner and you're going to burn in hell for all of eternity unless you put your trust in Christ. And, you know, that's a pretty significant, like that's, that's the most significant thing that there is. So if you reject that, why would you not reject everything else? Like, of course you're going to reject everything else. Um, and when the church, so then when, the, if the church is wishy-washy or wonky on that at all, then of course it's going to be wishy-wonky, wishy-wonky, wishy-washy on every social societal issue too and a lot of the people that i knew like in college that deconstructed and i i think i've shared this before but when i went to, i went to a very like secular very left-leaning school in um upstate new york that was staffed by a lot of ex-hippies who had come to new york for woodstock and never left so it was a you know extraordinarily uh, left-wing place but there was a fairly robust like christian group on the campus that I went to. And, uh, you know, we did quite a few events. I mean, we can talk about the abortion debate because I feel like that, that's what I thought of when I was reading this article. Um, but there was a, there was a pro-life group on campus that was mostly Catholics. And, um, I'll never forget, this was my first exposure. Cause like I knew about abortion, you know, I knew it was a horrible thing. I knew it was a big issue. It was never my, it was never something that I think interested me a ton in like, as, as, as much as other, you know, apologetic issues or moral issues or political issues, because I think it's because it has to do with pregnancy and birth and women. And I'm a guy and I just didn't really think about it a whole lot, but I always knew it was evil. And when, uh, when I was at college and we scheduled that debate, you remember, cause you were the one who did the debate 
And yep. I was kind of behind the scenes. Um, doing, this is actually 10 years ago. It's just a little over 10 years ago. Um, I, I was behind the scenes, like doing all the setup and I'm like coordinating uh, who's going to, who's going to uh, moderate the debate. Who are we going to debate it? Who would, who are you going to be debating? And then like trying to get other clubs to join in and be a part of this. And so I'm thinking like, obviously um, we'll have, you know, our group and then we'll have the, the main Christian group on campus. Like I would assume that they would want to be a part of this. They didn't. And uh, the right. Alliance did because they were the ones who staffed the other side. But then the one that to me that would have been the most obvious of any group was the pro-life group. Like literally that is the point of your your group. But yeah. I, I, I forgot about that, but you're right. They, they didn't want to sponsor or be a tr like uh, associated in any way with... Do you remember why? No. Because <laughs> I do, because I had the meeting. I had the meeting with the, the head of the pro-life club. She wanted to meet me and uh, talk about her concerns. I was like, concerns for what? Like, isn't this fantastic? Your whole thing is being pro-life, and we're going to debate it on campus. Like, it's the marketplace of ideas. And, uh, she, and basically, it all came down to one thing. She was concerned that we might show pictures of aborted fetuses. Right. And if we did yeah. show pictures of aborted fetuses, then they didn't want to be a part of it because, you know, that that can cause a lot of trauma. And I remember just thinking at the time, like, who like who gives a crap? Yeah, there was a little <laughs> um, a video I think I showed that did. I think I did show some aborted fetuses and I think I warned everyone. But yeah, it was it was part of the. And I suggested that, like, we can do a warning. We can, like, we, we can tell people, hey, this is going to happen. Like, if you're going to, if you're going to get triggered by this, then you don't right. have to be a part of this. But I, that was like, that was the first time that I realized, oh, the pro-life movement isn't as pro-life as I thought it was. And then this came up over and over and over again in different forms. And so then, like, when last year when Roe v. Wade got overturned. And like everyone is, everyone's sort of like, oh, yay, we won. And you're like, no, you didn't win. You still have to pass it in all the states. And they're like, no, 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 right. we won. This is a great right. victory. You can go into that. But um, I, there's there's a correlation there. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I remember the other uh, Christian group on campus that we thought would probably be somewhat supportive decided, I think they scheduled that night like a, a, a ultimate Frisbee competition literally to try to take people away from the event. It, it was one of the most amazing. It was an eye-opening thing. I feel like these past 10 years i've just had one eye-opening red pill moment after another you know <laughs> like think thinking it's one way and then realizing oh man it seems like it's worse than i thought it was and uh and and you know that i guess that's kind of a depressing thought but it's i think it's good to know what your actual numbers are what you're what you're actually dealing with and uh so, but it went well the event went well i remember uh, that I mean, and uh i mean somebody flipped you the bird midway but they, yeah, I think that. Yeah, I got your camera. How is video recording? Yeah, I, it, it's on. Um, it's on YouTube. It's on. I think my YouTube channel. If you want to check it out. But so anyway, the article though. Let's talk about that. Uh, so, this is pro life, except in the cases of, and it's by our editor, one of our editors, Jan Weaver, who volunteers her time. She's really good at what she does uh, to, um, edit articles that you all submit. And I didn't even give the plug at the beginning. I probably should have. But if you go to truthstrip.com, scroll to the bottom, there is a publish tab. You click on that and there's a form you can fill out if you want to submit an article. Um, we also, by the way, take donations. It is 501c3. So if you feel compelled to donate to what we're doing, um, I know uh, we would all, uh, David especially, would appreciate that. And appreciate it, it, it enables us to do more. 
Um, and I think right now that a lot of people are w- desiring that, wanting an evangelical uh, Christian organization to ad- address the issues people are actually asking and not to be afraid of those things. And that's kind of what TrueScript does. So go through the article then. Um, maybe maybe I should read some of it. I don't know. I mean, it's it, it, it's kind well, of... It has a, it kind of has a, um, like a tipping point because it, yeah. I don't know if you, if you, if we want to rev- kind of do the big reveal, but, um, uh, you know, Jan talks about, which just kudos to Jan. Jan was, Jan really, um, was very transparent in writing this. And, uh, I'm sure this was a very, very difficult thing to write, but this is the kind of stuff that the pro-life community really needs to read. And, you know, I would really recommend if you haven't read it yet, read it and share it to like, especially if you have people in your church who are really raw, raw about pro-life stuff, I think they would probably get a lot out of this, but you know, she starts off talking about, um, the whole rape and incest. So exceptions for rape and incest. She talks about Holy Post. She talks about Phil Vischer and Sky, 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 Sky Dathani, who co-hosts the was Holy Jithani? Post. I, I thought it was Jathani. Is it something else? I thought he was a Star Wars. Okay. Uh, yeah, Sky, yeah, Skywalker and just, yeah, okay, all right. Uh, I, I always thought it was Jathani, but either way, um, Sky. We'll Sky Jathani is does is not super worried about abortion. Yeah, he well, he thinks uh, that uh, it, it's not about what laws you have on the books, but if, whether or not you can reduce the number of abortions. That's the main thing. And he thinks that he's figured he has a better formula for addressing that through social justice rather than making abortion illegal, basically. And and so she she critiques that as pragmatism. And um, and, and uh, she talks about, I guess, just how this um kind of like the frog in the kettle, how this gradually moves people from my body uh, to my body, my choice to this, because that's the underlying assumption here, really. Um, it, it, cause if, as soon as you assume that it's a, an actual person, then that changes everything. Right. Uh, and so, um, then, then the, I guess is the big story. She, she goes through critiquing this cause she thinks it starts with uh, for Christians, at least this idea that, oh, except in the cases of rape and incest. Right. And then that moves you to my body, my choice position. But she wants to nip it in the bud. And the way she does it is she tells this story about this girl, 15 year old Anna and how Anna gets pregnant. And, and it's pretty well written and it's pretty emotional. Um, and I don't know if you want to you know, talk about that at all or. I think I think it might be best to let people read it, because if you just kind of talk about it and if uh, you know, she yeah. tells the story, and the story is, it it, it hits hard. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's, it is probably one of the better to send to a Christian, at least pro-life or anti-abortion articles that you could send to someone uh, to really just kind of jolt them a little bit. It, it's just it, it's well done. So uh, check that out, pro-life, okay. except in the cases of. And if I you th- ever hear anybody say. You know, well, I'm pro-life except for, you know, in cases, which I have heard. I've heard it a few times. You don't hear that a lot. I feel right. like in Christian circles, you might hear it more in like neocon circles. But I think, didn't President Trump say something to that effect not too long ago? Uh, uh, I don't know if it was. Or like well, they should have allowed exceptions for this or that. I mean, that's, I feel like that's a Republican talking point. That's like basically every Republican. It's like, oh, we're pro-life, but, you know, we need to have it. Yeah, Trump's all over the place, though, because remember, what, 2016, he was saying women should be punished for it, and everyone lost their mind. 
and uh and now yeah that that makes sense though I, i'm pretty sure because I, I i remember i was with um senator steve king once had a dinner a few years ago and he told a story about meeting with president trump on the issue of abortion and president he brought actually it's kind of funny he brought a, a woman from iowa with him i guess and uh she had um I, I guess she had had an experience where she was raped, had a child and is against the exceptions, uh, you know, the rape uh, incest exceptions. And so um, she's sitting there in the Oval Office with President Trump, you know, just met him and with uh, Steve King and Trump, Trump, I guess, pulls Steve King aside and, and basically says, where do you find these people? Because he just could not believe that someone who had gone through that experience would be supportive of um, not allowing abortions for other people going through that experience to alleviate it somehow. He says, where do you find these people? You know, and Steve King said, they're all over the Midwest, Mr. President. But uh, but yeah, I mean, that. So so whether or not it's public, I know privately President Trump has said that. And that is kind of like the, I guess that's like the default setting for most Republicans is, uh, well, we're pro-life, but you know, those, there's those, those exception cases. Um, so anyway, we, I should probably just ask that there's some people, uh, in the private chat here. I'm just going to see, um, you, do you want to tell your story first or do you want to go to, uh, some people in the private or in, uh, who are waiting to come on, uh, first and then go yeah, to your can, story? We can, uh, we can let some people come on. All right. All right, Mark, I'm going to pitch it to you here to so make sure you're uh, you're unmuted. Let's see if I can. There you go. Hey, Mark. Hey. <laughs> I see your hand. What's okay. going on? Howdy, hey. Mark. Yeah. You're, so for those who don't know Mark uh, on Twitter, I don't know if you just started doing it. He's the this, nine but... marks. Nine marks? Oh, yeah. You're Mark Dever. <laughs> hey, Mark Dever. Even... <laughs> yes. Yes. That's Mark, me. You seem a lot happier than. I'm sorry uh, about the conference. I'm sorry for the moments down, but. Yeah, sorry. You know, was canceled, Mark Dever. Well, I'm so overjoyed at the two fellows in the back. You know, that were culling on the couch. They got their their moment in the spotlight that everyone could see. That's what I'm excited about. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, you you have a lot of videos you post on Twitter doing construction. Is that what you do? Is just are you like an independent contractor? Uh. I'm trying to be, but right now I'm getting the experience. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So I work for uh, Warden Home Improvements. I'm in Western Maryland right now in the tri-state area. So West Virginia and Pennsylvania, all right here together. It's good Appalachian so, territory. Yeah. So um, we're doing multiple jobs right now, multiple additions, renovations, we even build whole entire houses. So what I'm doing now, since Elon Musk has opened up ad revenue sharing for everyone, uh, I've been making excuses about not creating content and doing podcasts or whatever online for years and watching people talk about it and all that. And I finally said, what am I waiting for? I just, it clicked and I'm going after it now. So I'm posting on Twitter and other places, but I've also bought the domains or makeyourmarkcraftsman.com and .net and I'm going to be setting up LLC getting a website going so I can bring this all together 
into a website, showcase my uh, abilities and so forth, have a brand presence online, but also build up locally and whatever so that I can, yeah, get my own yeah, thing going. Cool. Awesome. I think you're doing it right because you're focusing on something that you enjoy, you're good at, and you, uh, a lot of people, I think, make the mistake of trying to get involved in like a political discussion or a theological discussion when they just don't really have um, some, sometimes that's just not their thing. Right. And, but they care about it. We should all, we all should care about those things. But you know, I've, I've advised people like find your thing, find the thing that you really enjoy and like to talk about that lights you up. And uh, so, and you're definitely uh, you know, you're definitely motivated about construction and stuff. So um, I, I'm all in on it because it's so wide open it, for people who are on on the fence about what to do, especially young people get into trade work now because there is so much work. Everyone's always going to need a toilet, going to need a receptacle to plug their devices into and going to need a roof over their head. Yeah. And robots cannot do those jobs. Robots cannot frame a house. They can't build a deck. They can't do that stuff. Get into it now. It's wide open. Make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice from uh, Mark Dever from 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 uh, 10 Marks, I guess. 10, ten Marks Construction. <laughs> 10 Marks. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, hey, did you have anything to add to the, the show or I don't know if any of the topics? 10 Marks, a uh, healthy deck, you know, that's what <laughs> I'm going for. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you yeah. know, I think the deconstruction stuff, it's just it's goofy. It's just another way to like be edgy and weird and not really be a Christian. Like what it's, it's unbiblical. Why would you say I'm a Christian and I'm going to start just piece by piece tearing off everything that makes you a, an actual Christian? I don't understand the point. Are you following Christ? Or are you just like doing what you want to do? Well, you kind so, of bring anyway. up an interesting point too, because it is like, it is kind of trendy to do it in stages. And I feel like I, I had this conversation yesterday with my wife. Like you're talking about somebody who has made some, you know, like I, I, well, I left this church and I'm going to go to this church or, you know, I don't know. I just don't know how I feel about the tone here. And, and then, and like, you know, on my mind, I'm like, okay, so you're decontrolling. You, you're, you're not in anymore. Like you decided this isn't for you. Maybe you were never saved. I don't know. Like, I don't know how far you're going to take it, but it's sort of like this gradual, like, oh, I'm going to do it in steps. Like I'm going to do it like a TV show. Like this is season one. And season one, I leave my original church and go to like a little woker church. And season two, I get a tattoo. And season three, I start vaping. And then like, it just, it's kind of goes. Yeah. Well, yeah. and you'll notice, I think the tell is the fact that they have to announce it. If, if this is just what you're doing, you know, you don't have to announce it to people. Why do they make it a point to let everyone know this is what we're doing? And to your point of the trendiness, look at the people who are deconstructing, you know, in the public eye, your Christian rappers and your Christian musicians and, you know, your Christian cartoonists and all that kind of stuff. So it's people it's kind of like the reality shows. It's when famous people started dropping down to the B list and the C list and the D list. And then all of a sudden they would be on a reality show to try to get popular again. I don't know. I just think, honestly, it's. It's for attention. Why are you talking about tearing your your 
your salvation and your belief in Jesus Christ as the risen Lord and Savior of your life. And you're going to talk about how, well, I'm just going to keep stripping all this stuff of biblical Christianity away from my life. I don't understand the point. So, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're not just doing it with even Christianity, though. They like it, it also gets into usually even the deconstruction stories start out with like a political thing. Like, you know, I, I grew up in a Republican household and we were patriotic and we supported uh, the, the president or whatever. And then I realized that the Republicans are just awful. And uh, and that like, you know, it leads to it, 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 the reason that we were supporting Republicans was because we were Christian. So Christianity must also be awful. And it, it's uh, it, it's like every single element of their childhood and uh, their any attachments that they formed at that time must all be severed, must all be rejected. Uh, it, it, it's a remaking of oneself. It's like a new. It, it is like being born again in a. It's a conversion. Secular, I mean, it's a, a conversion. But it's born yeah. again to what you want. Right. It's conforming it to human desires of whatever you want your image to be a lot of times it's yeah. not conforming to christ yeah. so yeah i agree man i totally agree um, i appreciate you having me on yeah appreciate you mark thanks for the support thanks, and mark. uh yeah we'll talk to you later all right oh i cut mark off sorry mark, <laughs> sorry, mark. <laughs> <laughs> that was, was kind of rude of me there he's giving me the thumbs up all right so um so so the last article is written by actually you so i wrote it i gotta see if i can remember what i wrote well i mean I, this was I, a actually this was a really this was a very emotional this was this was a lot more emotional than i expected like i thought i had a very t hard time writing this and i'm not sure why um but every year and i was kind of interested to see what your memories were too since obviously we you were 11 i was nine when this happened but every year around september i don't know if this is different because we're new yorkers and because we were pretty close to where this happened but every 12. year around september huh i was 12 but uh, anyway you would just turn 12 whatever yeah and <laughs> i was almost <laughs> 10. um every every year around september for uh, several days i just have like i don't i you know you you uh you'll be reminded that it, that it happened and I'll always find myself like digging into like some of the dark side of the event, you know, like when the people were jumping out of the buildings, that's one that st sticks in my head, like really uh, very strongly. And every year around the anniversary, I'll kind of drift into this just like remembering cause it's so vivid. And I, when I was reflecting on it this time, cause it's just the weird thing about this year is and I kind of mentioned this in the article. Um, this is a few paragraphs down, but I said, it's incredibly surreal to realize that 20 years have now come and gone since that time. And I just talked about how like my perspective on this recently has sort of shifted, like sort of politically, like I don't, and I'm not like, I'm not really on the, I, I have a lot on my plate, so I don't have a lot of time for like digging into conspiracy theory stuff. So a lot of the time when I have discussions with people about like, did this happen or did this happen? I can at least say at this point, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't really know everything that happened that day. I'm not sure. I'm not convinced that like, though I do know that like the whole political narrative around that, that we kind of like, especially on the right, were um, 
almost pigeonholed into. Like we were really, really rah, rah, rah for Iraq and Afghanistan and everything around that. I, I don't know. I don't know what uh, I don't know what the administration knew. I don't, I don't know what anybody knew. I'm just not sure. I have lots of questions. What I do know is, you know, is what I remember being nine years old and seeing all that happen. And that was like a, you know, and just an intense loss of innocence, you know, and that's true for, I think for a lot of people and, you know, anybody around, anybody who was coming of age during that time, but, you know, being around nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, um, that's, that's like a, that's a lot to be exposed to in a very short time. Like I remember distinctly, and I mentioned this as well, I had no, I didn't know what Islam was. I still remember not knowing before 9-11 what Islam was and afterwards knowing what it was. Like I had no yeah. idea. And so you're, you're, you're asking these questions that just challenge your entire, um, your entire paradigm. But I don't know. I like, I, I would go into some of my, like my takeaways in the end, but what do you remember about that day? I don't know. You do a whole podcast on that. I don't want to like talk too much. Uh, I remember sitting there. Well, we, we had a um, town day the day before. So uh, we, so, so I think it was, was it on a Monday that 9-11 it was happened? Two, it was Tuesday. It was so the, Tuesday. Town, the town day was uh, Sunday. It was Sunday, I guess. So maybe, so there was another, okay. So I, I remember that happened right before and um, it was a very clear day and I, we were having breakfast in the kitchen and that's when, um, mom got a phone call and it was, uh, I remember it, it was, it, well, I don't know if I want to say the name. Well, I, it doesn't really matter. I guess it was, it was Mike Olchevoy. I think it was uh, another, uh, around our age. And he said, Hey, the United States is under attack or something. And my mom like you know, ran to uh, the living room, turned on the TV and, and the second plane had not hit yet. It was just the first. It was like a couple of minutes though before I mean, we turned it on right before the second plane hit. Yeah, we turned it on we and then the that. second plane hit. And then, yeah, the TV was on the rest of the day. And like a bunch of, I think the, the networks though, like started going out because I don't know, I guess that some of the towers or what, I, I think we had an antenna and like, or maybe it was the cable. I don't, I don't remember, but we, we weren't, we didn't have access to all the channels and then they started piping in like Fox news and we, and that was on for like, you know, the next three days or so. Um, and I remember that night or was either that night or the night after, I think it might've been that night. There was a special service at the church. And for the next few weeks, we saw all kinds of people showing up to church that we had never seen, uh, just from the community. And, uh, I remember dad started a series on Islam at the church and, uh, that was, so, so everyone was learning about that. There was such a high demand to know, you know, what is this threat? What is this new enemy we have basically? Um, and I, <laughs> I got, I remember t I, I took it in on so well that I remember I was at a restaurant once and we had a waiter. It was with some friends uh, right after that. And I was conversing with one of them and I said that, you know, Islam's not a religion of peace or they, they'd say that, but that's not really, you know, that's not what uh, jihad uh, is. And, 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 and anyway, I mean, I was just repeating what I had heard in some of these, uh, um, in some of the, I guess, the materials that we were learning. And I remember the waiter, though, happened to be Isl Islamic and got really super defensive, <laughs> like was just really. And I had to kind of like, you know, say, hey, sorry, man. You know, I wasn't even talking to him, but he he just got really upset about it. And so tensions were high. <laughs> now, he didn't know well, it was more just like, uh, you know, 
you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm Islamic and Islam uh, means peace and stuff. So I, now I know he didn't know what he was talking about either, but, yeah. but it was just, uh, it was just high tensions. And, and then I remember not long after that, we had, we were flying, I think to California or something as a family. And it was the first time I had seen the security measures, the, like the insane security measures. We were searched. Um, and I just remember thinking as we were walking in the airport, this will never last. This, this isn't going to last. Uh, people aren't going to stand for this because this, this is like harassment. And, and I, I don't know if you remember at the time, there was a whole debate about the, um, the, the new like m sort of x-ray or whatever they were, however they were like getting body images of people, the new machinery they were, they were putting in there. And there was a whole debate about, uh, whether that was inappropriate or not, you know, wh whether perverts would be looking at these images. Um, you know, there, there was a whole debate about racial profiling and, and that was a time when conservatives were pushing for it. Yeah. That, that, that's funny, right? Now, now today that would never happen, you know, post 2020, especially, but back then there was a lot of conservatives who thought like, why not? Like if it's young Muslim men who are doing this, who look Arabic, then why don't you like target like, like in it, like look at them when you're doing the, the pad downs and stuff. And there was all these stories about like, you know, frail old ladies from the Midwest getting like inappropriately touched and stuff. And so, so it was just all this turmoil. Um, and, and so I guess that nothing's changed in that regard. It, things have gotten worse as far as social turmoil, but it's, I think it's surreal looking back. Maybe that's why it was hard for you to write it because you're looking back on what you know is the end of a different age. It, it's it, you didn't realize you were in it at the time, but now looking back in retrospect, you do realize that nine 11 was the end of something. Um, I think it was when we talk about like post world war two era, I think nine 11 was the end of that effectively. That was, or at least the beginning of the end, like that kind of notion that America, um, some people say this, this ended in 89 when the Berlin wall fell, but I, I don't think so. I think, in the 90s, America was still on kind of a very Cold War footing. And uh, I mean, I, I'm a child. I grew up, I, I was born in 89, and I, I would consider myself part of that. Like, I, uh, there was still very much a patriotism. Um, you saw it in civic rituals like uh, Flag Day and things like that. People showed up for those things. Um, the movies on television, very patriotic, but it was like mostly based around World War II that we were the good guys in that conflict. And then every conflict since then, we were also the good guys and we're just, we're a force for freedom and America's good. And America believes in God. That's one of the things that makes us good. And everyone just believed that. 9-11 um, was the end of that, I think. And, and that's why I think part of, it's hard to look back at it because it's, it's like seeing you wonder what could have been, you wonder whether that could, you know, you see an opportunity for national revival in that situation. Like people were coming to church for a little bit and then they stopped. People were putting their flags all out and you felt like you were one with everyone for just a little bit. Like you were actually together as Americans, even Democrats and Republicans for like a week or two were, uh, you know, sharing the same sentiments and, you know, it, it just felt like we were one, like Americans were Americans. We had a common enemy. And, um, and, and it was like, we're going to go back to the way we were, you know, world war two, uh, during that conflict. And, and it just wasn't to be, that just did not last. And, and, and I, and so seeing the division now, I think it's just depressing a little, cause you're just like, we had that moment 
and and now it's totally gone. Um, and now not as it only is it gone, but we're cynical about it. Like we we look at it and we say, hey, that's what they use to get the surveillance state in. And, yeah. you know, all that stuff that we meant for um, for surveilling or, or, you know, protecting ourselves was used against us and is still being used against us. And we have a weaponized deep state that's imprisoning January 6th prisoners. It's so surreal. The guy, you know, George Bush, George W. Bush, who was the president at the time of 9-11 who would have thought that he would say something like january 6th was like just as bad or worse than 9-11 like insane. that it's insane. insane and and you just think well, it, it makes you not trust him you, and at the time you had so much trust in him that he I'll really never loved this country the, you remember the yankees uh the yankees playoffs after right after when he threw the opening pitch yeah i do yeah i mean that was a moment you everyone still, cheered, you still yeah. can get chills thinking about that moment it was it was incredible. Like there, I don't know if there ever was a cheer in the United States like there was that night at that game. You yeah. know, because like what it whatever you know, and he just you know he threw a baseball, but what it represented to because it, it was in New York. Yeah. You know, and it was it was just it was it was amazing. You know. Well, we were close. We were close to it too. I think you mentioned that we we live not far. We were seventy eight miles from the towers. So we went down to a funeral of someone who had died in it. We knew people that were in the towers in our church who had gotten out. We we were like, if we went up to Mount Beacon, which wasn't far, we would have, seen would have been the able smoke. to see the smoke. Yeah, it, it wasn't uh, all that far. And, you know, I, I think that also plays into it, like uh, just being that close to it. Every town in our area has 9-11 memorials and every single one of them has a piece of the World Trade Center at those memorials. Um, I remember, you know, there were just funerals all over the place for for months after 9-11. Um, you don't forget that kind of thing. I remember there was a one funeral on TV. They had funerals. There was a uh, there was a funeral for firemen. Uh, and I remember during the funeral, in the middle of the funeral, this Irish fireman, because in New York City, the firemen traditionally are, are mostly Irish. And but he just starts, you know, threatening Osama bin Laden in the middle of this funeral. And say and and no one turned off the can no one thought it was inappropriate everyone just like cheered for him basically and just i mean people were united they were angry um everyone wanted to sign up i was depressed that i was 12 and i couldn't sign up friends who were older than me did and and um one of them one, one of them i knew in the church went went to uh afghanistan and uh it was he was viewed as a hero i mean he got so much respect for that i remember at the time he came back in his uniform and everyone was just shaking his hand and, you know, you see people join the military today and it's it's not the same. Like, it's just not. Well, the, the people who are joining the military today have no memory of 9-11. They, they no, no. So no, but I'm saying like the way they're treated, like, like as conservatives, even like, you know, someone joins the military and conservatives are the ones that are saying, hey, man, I don't know if you want to do that. You know, did you get the jab? Did you do you really want to work for those people like that? That's the crazy thing, because back then it was both left and right were just like, you know, yeah, everyone go. And so it's, yeah, it's you, you were, I I think, you know, grandchildren will ask one day, what was that like? They'll, it'll be like, you know, when, when we were um, asking the world war two generation, what was it like? People are going to ask us, what was it like before nine 11? It's like, it's like an event of that magnitude, I think in a way. Yeah. Well, in the midst of the black pills, (laughs) <laughs> there's a, yeah. there's, a, there's a Does everyone few, enjoy the black pills there's a few i mean the the um the end of what i tried to do at the end and i really prayed hard about this because i it, this is what made it so hard i think was 
trying to <laughs> trying to figure out what like what blessings are there and so i thought of um philippians 4 um uh, philippians 4 6 and 7 you know it says be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god because i feel like it's impossible to think about this without feeling anxiety like because when you just start connecting everything and everything that you basically just laid out it's pretty anxiety and inducing um, and so like biblically, the response is supposed to be actually first Thanksgiving. So even thinking about something like that, like what are blessings? What can you, what can we be thankful for? So three things that I, you know, I guess kind of came to me. One was, um, just the reminder of the reminder of depravity, which can be a blessing because it can wake people up. Our proximity to it, I think is somewhat important. Cause like you said, people are very cynical about this now. Um, you know, and if, if, especially if you live really far away from it, you know, we, we experienced this in a, in a, in a way that it was in our face every single day with people, like we would hear people talking about, yeah, I was in the South tower, you know, and I was on this floor and we ma we managed to get out in time. And my best friend's father, actually, um, he really, his testimony, like how he came to a serious faith in Christ was through his experiences there. He was a police officer. Um, but, uh, but, you know, so that was one blessing was just, people did wake up, but the one thing, one thing that really like jumped out at me when I was thinking about this, <clears throat> um, and I mentioned the Titanic. So my wife and I went to, um, a Titanic museum in Pigeon Forge here in Tennessee, oh, yeah. and it's extremely well done. It's, 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 uh, one of the, like, it's weird that a, a Titanic museum is in the middle of Tennessee in the Smoky Mountains, but that's where it is. And it's a, you know, it's very, very well done. And one of the things that hits you with the Titanic is like, what was the point of this? You know, you have all this, you have, um, I, want, it's, I think it's close to 2000 people died. And just cause the, you know, they just ship hit an iceberg. Like, but when you start digging into these individual stories, you know, it's, it's not just uh, interesting. It's like, it's very inspiring because the, the Christian ethic of the time during the Titanic was, um, and the movie, actually, I had never seen the movie. I watched it recently. The movie is extraordinarily inaccurate. The The rule almost was that it was a pretty gentlemanly affair. Like women and children got on boats as much as possible. And so many men just resigned themselves that they were going to die fairly immediately and behaved like men the entire time and died like men. And even if the, even if the event, regardless of what caused the event, that is a profoundly good thing like that's a profoundly bib, uh, biblical um precedent to face death which is the, the you know the most fearful of all things and if, to be able to face it and look straight in the eyes and do the right thing like in the midst of it and you know act act in a christian way and the one thing with 9 11 and the parallel there is um like so many people just rushed right into the jaws of death yeah. thousands like over 400 firefighters died at 9-11 you know i mean there's there's a bunch of famous pictures there's one picture taken from the george washington bridge where there's a um there's a fire truck that's headed inbound to manhattan and every guy on that truck died and they they got there just in time to run in and die you know yeah. and like this is gonna be this might sound like a ridiculous stretch but um the whole discussion of like who are my people and like nations and uh, like as an as somebody from New York, when I hear those stories, I'm like, man, those are my people. 
I love those people. Like I love those New York, Italian, Irish, you know, like I, I feel like I understand them. I get them. I love them. I want them to know Christ. Um, I don't live there now, but like I could see myself going back as a missionary one day just because I have a, like, those are the people I grew up around. And 9-11 is like the principal event where the, the wonderful qualities about that culture were just on full display. And like, it's, it's, it's ridiculously inspiring, you know? So I don't know that's a positive thing. Like it's heartbreaking. It's awful. It's horrific. But um, there was a lot of like incredible he heroism and bravery. And like those stories should be told. Like that is a Christian thing. That is a, um, a uniquely yeah. Christian virtue to share these stories and like hold these guys up as, Hey, you want to know what a man is? That's a man. And yeah. it's something that is just like every year we go through this every year we have this remembrance, you know, they read all the names and everything. And like at the evan evangelical church in general is like, they don't do that. Like they don't, they're not pointing to these guys who, you know, stared death in the eye and drank it down like water. You know, it's like, we, we will look at MLK as our guy, or it's like, here's your hero. Like, this is what biblical sacrifice looks like. And I don't know, 9-11 is a really good excuse to do that, to, to look at that. So there's that. And then the other thing I, I mentioned at the end was just, even though, um, and you, you just mentioned it, like a lot of people flocked into church and then, you know, church attendance rates did not go up. They, they've gone, you know, down pretty dramatically since 9-11. But, um, you know, being close to it, I, you know, I think we both know a number of people who came to Christ. And I've heard plenty of testimonies of people who came to Christ because of their experiences that day. So God was at work. He did draw people um, to himself through that event which yeah. which regardless of you know, whatever the politics whatever the situation around it like he was still at work even in that even in that darkness so yeah that's pretty much he all was I yeah i do i think that uh it is a little bit like our world war one and you know the way that world war one influenced the british psyche we didn't get there and we, we basically got there in time to win the war and then of course world war ii i think damaged our psyche to some extent but we also um, I don't know. We, we there was an optimism in the '50s, right afterward, that uh, that we were uh, the world was on a track for more freedom, that that was inevitable, and all. And you know, today today we know this is this classical liberal kind of post-war World War II consensus talk. But um, with 9/11, it, I do think that it parallels in some ways the like the what happened to the American psyche in general. Uh, is kind of like what happened to the British psyche during World War One. There was like this rah rah at the beginning of World War One. I. I mean, people, the British people couldn't wait to get over there and get involved. And by the end of the war, when they had seen the devastation and sacrifice, it changed them. And one of the, the changes was this kind of uh, maybe this ties into the first article, this kind of feeling that, you know, was God? I guess there was an optimism that they felt, an expectation that they felt God was going to just always give them victory or something. And and when it didn't, when victory didn't even feel like victory, uh, there was a question of you know how can God let these bad things happen? And so yeah, 9-11 is a smaller event, obviously, but I think because of media and because um, I, I guess just be, because it's so out of the ordinary. In the modern world, I guess uh, now we have all these shootings, so maybe maybe it's becoming more normal to, to see that. But at the time, we didn't have that. I mean, it was just out of nowhere. Um, 
I, I think that the, the kids, the people who are our age watching that, they're the ones who are deconstructing now, many of them. And yeah. uh, is that connected? Eh, probably to some extent. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> someone says that these guys see, don't seem like proto New Yorkers to me. Yeah, that's a. <laughs> well, we're not. I mean, like we're, we're, we're pretty mixed up, you know, parents from California, family in Ohio and Mississippi. And you're, you weren't even born in New York. I just made it by a couple of months. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of the. It's kind of the strange thing I've had to you you went through this when you moved south and I moved south now and there's a weird like I don't know if we want to get into this but like the whole um, fortify the red states like let's let's uh, you know fortify the red areas everyone like you know get out of your blue area and get to a red area um, which I I'm on board with to the extent that I did it but there you do start asking these questions of like who are my people who are my like what is my um, uh, what, what is my culture, I guess, is part of it. Like, because you'll be in situations where you don't feel like you fit in. And the ironic thing, and like 9-11 brings this home for me, is I realized like I really do feel at home with Italian New Yorkers. And I married one, so it makes sense. Yeah, but. yeah, that, I think that's like most people or a lot of people are in that position where they moved around a lot and especially as broken families and, and going between parents and things. I mean, people, pieces of themselves are everywhere. It's, 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 it's really a tragedy of the modern world. And um, there's, it's funny if you look at like uh, cultures, you know, the Scots Irish tend to be very, they're explorers, no matter where they go in the English speaking world, they end up being on the frontier somewhere doing some rugged thing. Like that's just kind of who they are. And, uh, and, and you know, you can see in New York, you know, Italians tend to, they're so family oriented, they stay together. Uh, in fact, um, you, you when you go past like Kingston, New York, you don't really see as many Italians anymore. You know, you'll see some in Albany, but like they don't get out into those. They're certainly not in Western New York. Um, they they tend to stay together. That's why they gradually move places. They're just a different culture. Um, and so, you know, there are cultures who are more nomadic, who are, who are like able to move around and be OK with that and um, kind of keep their cultural stuff, their identity intact. But I think in general, though, people are made to kind of they have a home, you know, even even the Jewish people who have been I mean, that there's an example of a, a group of people who have been all over the world, who've been kicked out of so many countries and they've kept their identity. Part of the reason for it is because they have a homeland, even if they're not in it. It's it's they know where it is. They know it's in Israel. They know that they have a place to go. And, and that's, that's what happens when Jewish people go to Israel who have never even been there. They feel like they've come home, that, that there's, there's a place of belonging there. And so I think, um, I, I think that's the, the challenging thing and not challenging, but it's the, when, when you're someone like uh, myself and you, who I was born in California, but I have a lot of family in Mississippi and, but I'm living in New York there's you feel at home in all these different places and in different ways. And um, it's, it, you know, it, when I was in Virginia, there was part of you know things I missed about New York. But now that I'm in New York, there's a lot of things I miss about Virginia. So it's just uh, there, there's beautiful things all over the place that God's made. And um, I think for for having a family, probably the important thing is just to decide, hey, what kind of a legacy do I want my kids to have? What who? I, you get you have a choice in this to some extent. Like, who do you want them having ex shared experience with as they're growing up? And I think you made the decision 
that you wanted your daughter to be um, around people who are going to reinforce the Christian value system you grew up with. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, and I want whatever kids I have to be pagans now. <laughs> no, I, I probably won't stay here long term, but um, I respect people who do. And I totally understand. I mean, you, there's no way you're getting a good slice of pizza, I don't think, uh, outside of New York. Haven't so, had one yet. Haven't yeah. had one yet. Yeah. Or a deli, a good deli, which I have they one do right have down the street. Here. They have delis here in tennis. I'm going to offend whoever the Tennesseans are. But uh, this was actually a this was a culture shock for me because a deli, people, is a sandwich shop. But it's more than a sandwich shop. They also will they should have some salads sitting out like in the cooler. Um, you know, not like anti-pasta salad and, um, you know, coleslaw, stuffed grape leaves, if maybe. Um, so that's like not just like macaroni salad and potato salad, more than that. But then also the meats, like there should be at a minimum like salami, pastrami. And they have these things they call delis here and there's only three sandwiches. It's a ham sandwich, a turkey sandwich or a bologna sandwich. And that's it. And you like you walk in and it. I don't know. That's that's been probably the biggest culture shock for me. That's better than Virginia. We didn't even really have delis there. It was there was like this one bagel shop everyone raved about that was terrible in Lynchburg. <laughs> it was terrible. Like, you know, it was it's just a, and you don't want to offend the people who tell you about it. You know, oh, this is great pizza place, so this good. bagel shop. But the one, they did have better barbecue like New York cannot do barbecue. That's why I had to start smoking meat myself. That's that's actually what motivated me. And now I feel like the barbecue in New York is actually better than the barbecue in East Tennessee. I'm going to offend people again, but what? Yeah, there's a couple really good spots in in, in the um, like Handsome Devil in Newburgh, and um, uh, I don't think I've been to that one. Well, there, that's where the good barbecue is. Yeah. Okay, so so one one restaurant in like a hundred mile one. radius. Yeah, I haven't had a ton. There's there's a few decent places that are really really uh our 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 dad is the one that East Tennessee is not really known for barbecue though. No, but they have excellent smoked meat like slow uh, cold smoked ham yeah. and bacon and stuff like that. Virginia wasn't either. That was it was Virginia ham right, but because it you were in the South, it, there was just more barbecue around from other you know other influences. They're they're really good. I mean North Carolina have barbecue, but the really good barbecue that I had was in South Carolina and of course Texas. Texas and, is the uh, best. Uh, Texas, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas also has that the beef mesquite. I don't know how we're on this topic, but anyway, <laughs> I'm getting hungry. Um, I should have said this at the beginning and I didn't say it. So now only, you know, the three people left listening are going to hear it. But that's not true. We have we have more than three. Uh, but uh, I, I should have just let everyone know that the retreat that's coming up, David's going to be there. I'm going to be there. It's actually is it next week? I think it's next week. Next now. week. Yeah, it's next Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, Sunday. So it's, this is the last opportunity. Like this is the last opportunity to sign up. You got to sign up. If you've been on the fence and you've been saying, I don't know if I want to sign up, uh, let me wait. You, you're, you can't wait anymore. You I have literally till midnight tonight. Yeah. Well, it's basically, yeah. I mean, if you want to try to see if it's still up tomorrow, then you can try to see, but it's coming down soon. Uh, cause I got to email, uh, the, the camp and give them our head count. So, Anyway, uh, overcomingevilconference.com, overcomingevilconference.com. It's a men's conference uh, coming up September 21st through 24th. Be there, and uh, we'll see both of us. We'll see you there. God bless. Have a good night, everyone. Cheers.